Welcome to the Deep Democracy Podcast. My name is Wilnelia Rivera, and I'm joined by my co-host and fellow movement sister, Gina Cristo. Hello. Wilnelia and I met working on the Ayanna Presley campaign, and we spent many hours since then talking about the dumpster fires called democracy across this country and the inspiration we find in the emerging progressive movement. That's what we highlight on this show. These organizers and activists, the heavy lifting of what we call deep democracy, the belief that those at the margins should be at the center and that the inclusion of all voices allows for a more complete view of the system. It's just, it's so interesting, this history of of politicians being racist and now the accountability that they're like, oh, I didn't even, con- I didn't even consider that I shouldn't run because I was in blackface in the 80s, you know? know? And, and, and the silliest thing is like when, when people try to put it in like the usual kind of um, party buckets, right? Is this a problem of the left or is this a problem of the right? Is oh this God, a problem for Democrats? Or I'm like, how about this is a cultural problem? Yeah. Um, this is, a, is, it is a national cultural problem yes. that we have not resolved yet. Yes. And you can ascribe it to a party, but you can also ascribe to institutions, to how so many things function in this country, right? So it's just like, guys. There are racist people on many sides. In many shapes. Many shapes. So let's not try to put it in these cute little ordained boxes. No. That's actually been the most telling thing for me, seeing people trying to put this into a box. And I'm just like, guys, stop. Come on. Come on. Be better. I mean, now we know that there's like a legion. I swear, someone needs, what I'm here for, I'm here for that like, 20 something year old right now that's like doing a special like thesis mm-hmm. on like yearbooks. Mm-hmm. I know. Oh, their project just got so much more <laughs> oh interesting. Oh my God. So much more. You so know? much more interesting. I can just see like the, you know, it can be a psychology thesis, like how people reinvent themselves or something over time and how the brain like. Look yeah. at you go. You write that thesis. Well, not <laughs> yet. No, 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 no you write that. that thesis. I just think it's interesting as heck because I was like, man, if I had time on my hands, which I don't, <laughs> um, I would like be, I'm like, so can I see your yearbook? Who else can I? Yeah. I'll think about it just go through any of your books between like the 70s and 80s and even the 90s actually you know i'm just saying well i do you know what that's funny because i do remember when i was on campus there was a couple incidents since when i was there so this is like you know 2000 2004 mm-hmm. where there were instances where people like had like, you know where some of the frats had like you know, oh yeah blackface parties um and i just remember blackface yeah. parties yes i remember one in particular Yes. Oh my God! They, they, let's just say the administration came down on them pretty hard. I was though. gonna say no, they came down on them pretty hard. And it, so there were one-offs because they were the administration, along with like students, actually obviously organizing, yeah. like brought it down pretty quickly. But yeah. you know, but it says everything about like you know how important it is to hold that stuff accountable when it happens but it's what just crazy what do you think a conversation is like at a fraternity or even a sorority where they're like I have a great not idea for deep. a party not very deep let's dress up like we're black like what not very deep what not very deep <sighs> I know did you hear that story though about um this was a this was a little bit of a twist right so he's a, a young legislator in Florida who dressed up in blackface but it was him and his best friend mm-hmm. dressed up as each other as a joke one year when they were in high school um, so and, and and his friend is actively coming out like like look we did this and like yeah were we both stupid about it yeah totally like he was I was um, but you sh- he shouldn't have to resign what do you think about that I don't dun, dun, dun. I know I'm like crap I don't have like a you see, quick this opinion is, this is yeah. why this stuff sometimes it's not so blo- you know I think it's <laughs> no I, pun intended it's not so and black white. and white <laughs> <laughs> no I, I you know I think I guess I would I would my question would be how do people of color in his 
in his district feel. You know what? That is such the right way of looking at it. You know, and, like and, and, and to listeners, that right there is what's called going to the context. Going to the context. And meeting people where you are and not parachuting in from where you are and where you stand. Yeah. And I mean, That's don't great... get me wrong, like there's tons of times to parachute in and be like, You're racist. But yeah. if his friend is coming out, I didn't read the article, but if his friend is coming out yeah, and, and, it's and fine, these more complicated issues like this, it's yeah. not a it's not an easy slam dunk like in Virginia where it's like, All right, child. You're like, wrap it up. <laughs> wrap it up. Can I ask you, though, about Justin Fairfax? Mm -hmm. It is a complex thing when men of color are accused of assault by white women. And as a a survivor and a sexual assault activist, for me, my autopilot is to trust women. Was a survivor a white woman? She's a white woman. I I wasn't wasn't familiar with that part of the story. Yeah, and so it's complicated because, you know, I I am a trust woman kind of gal. But the, you know... I mean, look, I think, you know, she has a clear account, mm-hmm. you know, of what of what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, she was willing to go to the post way before this. This was actually happening in Virginia. Yeah. Um, uh, and I'm on, I'm, you know, I'm on her side. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, whenever we leave things up to like social media and like popular culture to like, mm-hmm. you know, resolve things, it's never a good thing. So mm-hmm. I do think that there needs to be like a thorough investigation. What that means. I don't know. I'm not. I'm no lawyer, so don't ever look for me in that way. Um, but I'm with her in that way because at the end of the day, I think you know, as a as a woman and as someone that's worked in politics, I think we've all been in situations sometimes where sometimes you feel uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and you know, some of us you know are able to say no, and some of us you know you know you don't know where people are at. So yeah. um, it's complicated, and people make bad decisions, and sometimes they come back for you. Yeah. That's what I think on that one, honestly, because I don't see how someone like years later will, you know, bring something like up like that back up again for for no reason. Yeah. You know? So yeah. it's it is complicated though because he's a man because of you know you know men of color and politics are unicorns just like women are right. right. Um, but even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's always disappointing to feel like you lose one. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if it's about improving the lot, it's not a f- popular opinion. I will say, but. You don't think that's a popular opinion? Not among some people, no. Yeah. Hmm. No, because I do think that there is a, a real, you know, storyline for those that have felt that there's been a lot of false accusations against men of against men of color and black men in particular yeah. over the course of time, and we know what that means in history, right? right? Exactly. So there's a particular sensitivity there, and I, and I understand that, right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, and and to bring this up because I think it's not the same, but it, it, I, I want to bring up the cultural point when you when you look at people like R. Kelly, right? Like right. the the community um, has known for a long time what he's been up to, right? Mm-hmm. And there's people that still support him, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that cognitive dissonance or that, that those cultural reasons sometimes where you feel like you just rather not talk about something, mm-hmm. I think we need to get over all that stuff and it's going to be uncomfortable because it means that some of the people that you admired aren't so admirable. So aren't admirable. Aren't as admirable as you thought. If you like this show, you'll probably also like the Brown Girl's Guide to Politics podcast, a brand new show from Wonder Media Network, hosted by Emerge America's political director, Ashanti Golar. As you know, this year was a record year for women of color running for and being elected to office. On the Brown Girl's Guide to Politics podcast, Ashanti talks with amazing women of color who are changing the face of politics and who are still vastly undercovered in mainstream media. Episodes include stories of being the only brown girl in the room, profiles of politicians and candidates, roundtables to analyze the news, and more. Episode 1 drops next week on Monday, April 1st, with the one and only Stacey Abrams. Listen now wherever you get your podcasts.
yeah. Nevada and Colorado have all female legislatures. All ladies. Oh, you know, well, not all female. Excuse me, majority. <laughs> <laughs> I still believe in some sort of gender balance. Some I think kind, that's yeah. good. I think that's good. Yeah. Um. But but yeah. I'm like I know. good news. There are lady dominating the legislatures in Colorado and Nevada. It's gonna be really interesting to see from a policy making perspective, like whether there's like a real shift there. There right? has to be. You know? And also in Texas, there is a um a caucus of women and women of color. They're actually a majority now in the Texas legislature. What? Yeah. In what? Yeah. In the in a party you, or yeah. in the No, within the within the Democrats, yeah. Oh like a wow. caucus. Wow. It's not like the majority of the legislature, no, but, no, it's, a no, but it's, it's in a, the caucus. A strong the... enough caucus now they could really like actually like put forth some bills and like be a block. Oh, that's so which awesome. at the end of the day, let's be real, like that's what you know. Oh my god! When it comes to policy making, you got to have a crew with you if you're. Gonna... <laughs> it's you know it's really interesting to think about that both in in all three of those states because mm-hmm. Nevada and Colorado in particular had really strong female candidates for governor and weren't able to get them across the line mm-hmm. and it's it's so interesting you know to see finally. Democrats understanding that this is about bench building, and I think the women's organizations are finally are, are, have understood the bench building, but learning the the large success that they had in different legislatures and and what they can learn from those individual districts mm-hmm. to empower another woman to, woman to run for governor. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, this country has a problem with executive women and women in power. So who knows how long it'll take? But it's good that there's in three really important states that there's like powerful. Yeah, and women. I'm here for highlighting all the good examples. I mean, look at the Michelle Lujan Grisham. Yeah, mm-hmm. she's the governor of New. Mexico. Yeah. Um, you know, she's not, you know, she has, she's had her, her own, you know, issues, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I always say that it's that kind of leadership that is different because seeing that she's called, she's calling back her own um, National Guard mm-hmm. from the border, mm-hmm. right? Because people don't realize this. There's 4,500 American troops in the U.S. in the U.S. Mexican border right mm-hmm. now. And it continues to grow and they're on, on assignment until through, until, until September of this year. Oh my God, I didn't know that. Yes. You know, I like to go down the rabbit hole. I know. I know. Right. So isn't that crazy? That's some that's some it's literally a human wall, like the Cheeto president. Literally. Said. Literally. So Michelle is really interesting. I mean, she she is the first um native governor of New Mexico. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um and her family has like really deep roots there. Oh, like it's seven, like twenty seven gen- yeah, crazy gender. They were we there before the they, they called it Nuevo Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. I mean they were there when they go yeah. like they could trace their ancestry all the way back. Then. Yeah. Yeah, so it's it's cool to see somebody who has those roots in leadership in mm-hmm. a time where it's like everyone's racist up front. Their racism is unencumbered. You're hilarious. <laughs> Mexico's an interesting place, though. Any I, other interesting good stuff that's happening? They want. I'm trying to think. Oh, we could we could talk about Stacy before we talk about Amy. Talk to Amy about Stacy. Oh, that's true, man. So isn't this interesting, right? So like, I feel that. I've been listening a lot and reading a lot to like what pundits are saying about Stacey mm-hmm. and I always I always I always get suspicious <laughs> <laughs> when you start hearing the same line by everyone and what's clear is that everybody wants to make sure that she runs for Senate oh. this is all about her Senate run this is all about her Senate you know, run was, they're trying to keep her in Georgia that's what I think too because I, I honestly was expecting to open up my Twitter and have it be like Stacey 2020 I'm here for it and everybody has the right like if we're going to talk about Beto running for president you have to talk about Stacey exactly that's basically my, my whole thing Right. And, and I also it really irritates me. There are lots of people I've talked to who are like, well, he just ran a better campaign. Like it was blah, blah, blah. Under, on what terms? On what terms? I know. I her, need to understand on what terms. I, they think that he 
reached a, a larger national profile than she did. It didn't deliver Texas. Does it matter? No. I, and I also think... no. I hate when people... People are ridiculous. But I also think it's because when you run for Senate, it's a federal office. And Stacey was running in Georgia, which is like the most hometown state ever. She was running to be the governor of Georgia. She, she didn't have the leisure to make her campaign national because it would have hurt her. You know? I mean... Then she would, she, it would have sunk in her... It would have sunk in her, her campaign, honestly. Exactly. And then they wouldn't have had... To, the, you know, the, they wouldn't have stolen it from her. I know, which I... I know, I understand. Why are we talking about that more? No, I just... It really... It just it continues to amaze me how like a, an American election another one was stolen and like we just don't call it that. I know. Like and this one was like you know, like literally hidden ballots, like ballots hidden in closets, Crazy. machines, machines still in their original like manufacturing wrapping, yes. sitting sitting in downtown Atlanta. Yes, it just it's it's oppression. I mean, it's just full full ass oppression on that one. Like, ugh. oh man, what did you think about Howard Schultz's announcement? I know I probably shouldn't be doing that into the mic. Completely agree. It's like completely talk about dumpster fire. Oh my god! God, like such a dumpster fire. I mean, just the level of like just uh, self-aggrandizement. That's the word. I just you know it just it's I I truly wish that someday I have the confidence of that white man. I wish you. I wish none of. I wish we just like take that away from like our society. Period. (laughs) Take confidence away. No, not confidence. (laughs) That level because that's not confidence. No, that's something different. Delusion. That's delusion. No, I mean you know even delusional you know to some degree like I don't know if delusional is the right word. I gotta like search for it. There's this word I can't think of it right now, but it gets used to basically like describe dictators, right? Mm-hmm. Um, benevolent. They, 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 you know, dictators, right? Mm-hmm. Like they really do believe that they've done a public good, mm-hmm. and even though they've had to like murder and rape and all these other horrible things mm-hmm. because they built bridges and like built schools mm-hmm. and did all these other things, you know, for a country, you know, they're kind of looked at it in a different way in history. I forget it's that word, but I can't remember it. Oh, but it's almost it's the same kind of thinking for me. Um, it's mm-hmm. like this, I just, I don't know. I just think it's too much. Like, you know, you already gave us burnt coffee beans. Stop. That's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. Even and, the iced coffee tastes burnt. And it's until, cold. Yeah, and until there's a seismic shift in like how our political system like operates in terms of like how you elect, mm-hmm. you know, a a, um, a president, um, it's just too destabilizing to have a third party candidate, you know, and, and honestly, whether it was someone that I actually like liked or not, um, I would still feel the same, to be honest. It's just we can't, you know, it, our system isn't designed for a third party a candidate to like a win, first mm-hmm. of all, and B, it just got to it's going to it's just going to give the presidency back to back to, um, you know, back to Donald Trump. And that just is not, I think, a scenario I want to face. No, I can't handle it. Um, there's not enough Lexapro in the world, but um <laughs> If so, here's my question for you on that because I don't disagree with you, mm-hmm. but Bernie Sanders, man, is a is an independent, and he says that he has this whole following and this movement and all those things. I mean, to me, I think he should run outside of the Democratic Party. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. You know, I don't want Howard Schultz to do it, but honestly, I'd rather Bernie still run within the Democratic Party. But I he's think... not a Democrat, though. That's so what. So, so I don't understand. It's how- more destabilizing to the overall system to have him run as an independent than it is to him to have him as a Democrat. And I think Democrats need to just be okay with it. And we probably disagree with that on yeah. this point, but I just think it's it's a primary. It's democracy. Listen, I'm fine. I'm fine being okay with it. I'm working through it, and I will work myself up to it for this cycle. Mm-hmm. But like, it's frustrating to me when 
he comes out and he says, the only reason I run in the Democratic Party is because I can't get on CNN any other way. But then in the same breath is like, I have this incredible movement behind me and I, you know, have this legislation that I can just run on and do. And like, I don't know. I just it feels disingenuous to me. I think he's gonna. I mean, he's consistent. He's always been disingenuous to some degree. That's a good point. All right, case he's clo- been on, he's case been on closed that, on that one. He's been on that streak for a while, and I and I just you know I validate your feelings here. But you know how I feel about this whole thing. I sh- I've been talking about us moving to a parliamentary system for a very long time, but oh, that's yeah. just me. I know it's not realistic or whatever. It's a nice idea. <laughs> it is a nice it's idea. A nice Do you idea. see the comments? Do you see how they go for? They come from their prime minister. Oh yeah. It's like. They have a week. Don't they have in Britain? Don't they have something like every other week where they come in and the PM just gets shit on all yeah. day? I don't know if it's every other week, but it feels like it's weekly these, I know. these days with I Brexit. Know. But oh. yeah, I mean, for her for, for her recent Brexit vote um, that was um, that was voted down, they literally right as soon as the vote was 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 counted up and she lost, they were like, yeah, we're gonna now like file for a vote of confidence to see whether we want you or not. <laughs> it's cold, cold out there. Oh, it's cold. But unfortunately, a lot of it's also driven by like xenophobia. So let's not let's keep it real too. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's no, uh, it's not. A, it's not it's as not be- great. Again, it's not as benevolent as we wish it. Uh, we wish it was. So, but you know what's interesting though too? Um, I was listening to um, NPR and talking about how the EU after this most recent debacle was just like, let them feel their pain. We're not gonna give them another chance. Basically. Like we're not, yeah, because you know they've just been counting on the fact that the EU will just continue to play along with them and not like actually hold true to the to the agreement. Mm. But they're like, mm. they're like, yeah, no, wow. like this is we're not not going to agree to anything else. So, oh god, and clearly your people want to leave. So, so let them leave. I know it's going to be so destabilizing though when it happens. Oh, it is. It is. I'm like, who's the adult? Who is the adult that's left in Europe? You know, Angela Merkel's like, I'm out of here. And also, she's, again, pretty imperfect herself. She's doing a fellowship at Harvard. Right now? I think she's going to be. Oh, my God. What do you think? She is going to be doing the commencement at Harvard, actually. Oh. It's going to be one of the biggest, best free tickets in town if you can get one. How do you get one? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure if we really wanted to try, you could. could but but I'd rather not spend a Sunday. Too many people yeah, in no, one place. You know how I feel about big crowds. I'm not, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I thought I could handle the big crowds, and then I walked outside to get lunch during the Patriots parade, and I was like, ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to die. But that's not, that's like an unusual, like, big crowd, though, too. That and like, there's I'm, not going to be rowdy drunk people I, at the Harvard graduation. <laughs> no, <laughs> not not this year. Oh God, Maybe it was a Yale Harvard game, yeah. But even that. Have you that. ever been to the uh, Yale oh, Harvard game? No, me neither. I mean, when I was an undergrad, I went to like the parties around the time because uh, you know who's going to say no to free free beer? Free beer, yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> Standards are pretty low at that age. Yeah, <laughs> and you get yeah yeah. Um, what else can we talk about? But honestly, they were weirder than the folks I saw, so I just brought my ass back to campus. <laughs> I only went to once. <laughs> you were like, like wow. Uh, wow. I thought I was in the land of the weirdos. I was weirdos. like, I thought I was in the smack room of weirdos, but this is a whole other level. I'm like, I'm going to keep around the ones I know. <laughs> You're like, my weirdos are the only ones I can deal with. Oh, man. Oh, my God. That's really Let's funny. talk about um, these oversight hearings. Oh, my Aren't God. Aren't they amazing? Did you see Alex Ocasio-Cortez? I'd say, let's just say, honestly... There is nothing I don't see that she puts out. I'll be honest with you. You know, I mean, you know, I'm not one to like stand over most people because I tend not to. I stand. I stand for her. I really do stand for her. I, know. I really do. I just like the the storytelling that she um, leads with is so powerful. You know, because it just it it's just powerful. I just to see someone who is in their 20s get up in a congressional hearing and be like. 
boom, 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 and just and just so clearly and simply illustrate how fucked up our campaign finance so is. So I could. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I'm the bad guy. And I'm like, yes, I don't know where this is going, but please, please keep going. Thank you, Chair. So um, let's play a game. Let's play a lightning round game. I'm going to be the bad guy, which I'm sure half the room would agree with anyway. And, um, and I want to get away with as much bad things as possible, ideally to enrich myself and advance my interest, even if that means putting, uh, putting my interests ahead of the American people. So, uh, Mrs. Hobart Flynn. Oh, and by the way, I have enlisted all of you as my co-conspirators. So you're going to help me legally get away with all of this. So, Mrs. Hobart Flynn, I want to run. If I want to run a campaign that is entirely funded by corporate political action committees, is, that, is there anything that legally prevents me from doing that? No. Okay. So there's nothing stopping me from being entirely funded by corporate PACs, say, from the fossil fuel industry, the healthcare industry, big pharma. I'm entirely 100% lobbyist PAC uh, funded. Okay, so let's say I'm a really, really bad guy. And let's say I have some skeletons in my closet that I need to cover up so that I can get elected. Um, Mr. Smith, is it true that you wrote this article, this opinion piece for the Washington Post entitled, these payments to women were unseemly, that doesn't mean they were illegal? Well, I can't see the piece, but I wrote a piece under that headline in the Post, so I assume that's right. Okay, great. So, green light for hush money. I can do all sorts of terrible things. It's totally legal right now for me to pay people off. And that is considered speech. That money is considered speech. Hashtag 3019, y'all. 3019. That's what, that's what Twitter officially says about yes. AOC. Yes. They're like, y'all, she's in 3019. The rest of us are just, just you know. Just trying to catch up. Just not trying even. to catch up. Actually, some people aren't even trying to catch up. I just know. throwing stones. I know. It's really, uh, actually, you know, I'm not amazed at me. Strike that from the record. <laughs> um, these men coming for her, man. They just, the insecurity. I'm like just here sipping I'm tea. I'm here for it. I'm yeah. here sipping tea, enjoying every moment of it. Because I'm like, you know. You're just as fragile as I knew you were. Mm-hmm. I'm like, we knew. I'm like, we've we been knew. Knowing. We've been knowing. We knew. But now we get to see this in a national stage. I know. And I also think, I just think that, you know, the way that she just sat there in the State of the Union mm. and just was herself. Solemn. Solemn and like, no, like a, I'm, I'm not taking your shit face. She like didn't stand up and clap when everybody did sometimes. With a 3019 blazer on as with well. The, I know. Again, I know. With it, the little it, arm slips. Like literally, <gasps> like I'm like, what is this thing? I'm I like, I didn't even know I needed one. I'm like, where I'm can like, I get that? Do they have I get it at one? TJ Maxx? <laughs> Like, what section of TJ Maxx is that in? Because I need I'm it. I'm sure if you requested for her to do an Instagram on, like, where she does her shopping, you know, she would. Oh, my God. I should do that. If she doesn't do it on her own already. I know. Do you, how, what do you think about the way that she uses social media and, like, the way that now people running for president are trying to use it? Like, do you find it disingenuous? Oh, I mean, look, people will copy and paste and you should take it as a form of flattery. But yeah. just because you, you do the same thing that you see someone doing doesn't mean you're leveraging it the same way. Yeah, I totally because agree. Because I've, I've been seeing some of them. It's just like, mm, you kind of, it looks like your parents sending you a video yeah. and you're just like, they feel awkward. You're awkward receiving it. Yeah. It just doesn't really work. I'm glad. I thought I was being overly critical because no, that's how I feel too. No, it's not overly critical. And, and, and again, it doesn't mean, you know, it's like, hey, go for it. Because, you know, from my perspective, you know, as someone that like, is trying to like say that we should be doing campaigns differently and running them differently. Yeah. Go ahead and use the tools. It doesn't mean we're all gonna use them the same way. Right. But go ahead and use them. Yeah. Right. Why but, not? 
you know but hey i think it's the fact that everybody had like an instagram announcement as part of their presidential campaign tells you everything it's you need to wild. know about the impact that campaigns like aoc's and others like hers like had across the country right? yeah and it's also why like you know the the consultant industrial complex mm-hmm. the, the traditional one doesn't want to see this happen mm-hmm. and the more i think i realize that the more i realize it's not worth to get into certain debates with some people because mm. you realize that like oh this is just your bread and butter and you don't want it to change mm-hmm. i think we talked about that a little bit earlier offline about like this cycle and deciding how we're going to engage with people about you know who should be voting and who should be counted who should be counted in polls and mm-hmm. and all of that and it's like I feel like you and I and people around us have to make a decision not to like really get into it with the dinosaurs, man. Like it's yeah. it's a lost it's a lost cause to try to try to convince people who don't want to share power to share power. Just have to take it back. And into you know, screaming over spoiled milk, mm. not gonna make it less spoiled. Nope, not gonna so, make it less. And spoiled. at some point, it's gonna be stinky for the both of us. So <laughs> how about we do? How about? You know, kill him with kindness, right? One of my favorite phrases that I like to say. Sometimes it's easier than than, than other days, mm. honestly, to stick to the mantra. Still building that muscle um, myself. <laughs> uh, but you know how that goes. Our guest speaker today is the wonderful and amazing Amy Allison. She is a founder of She the People, a national network elevating the political voice and power of women of color. We met Amy at the She the People conference in San Francisco last year. She the People was just an incredible room of women, especially focused on women of color, talking about running for office, um, talking about being a community organizer and a leader. And it was just one of the most empowering political days I've ever been a part of. 300 women squished into a huge ballroom um, in in San Francisco uh, with some of the most badass strategists and movement leaders that were delivering some of these, you know, primary victories and went on to deliver some of these general election victories as well. So it was a very inspirational um, uh, uh, experience. And as you can imagine, she is off to an amazing year. She has mm-hmm. a big load for in terms of like what this means for the next um, for this year's or this year's. I, I, I love that I think it's 2020. I know. <laughs> it actually isn't, but let's no, be honest, guys. It it's is. fake 2020. It's yep. called 2019 um, uh, with the upcoming presidential primaries. <laughs> But she she is hosting, um, She the People is hosting the first uh, presidential forum specifically focused on black women and issues surrounding black women. Um, it's in April in Texas, and it's going to be... It's We're in Texas. Dallas, I think. Okay. Or Houston. Doesn't matter. I don't know. She's going to start naming just random No, Texas I know it's not now. in Austin. It's either <laughs> Houston or Dallas. But yeah, she she's incredible. I think, you know, she has really broken in in terms of like normal mainstream politics, really bringing women of color to the center from a media perspective. Like we always talk about how there are so many women of color running and pushing these issues, but the fact of the matter is like the political system, media is a part of it. And I think that Amy has really done a lot of cracking at the glass ceiling for women in terms of their representation. I mean, what I would say is this, you know, you know, in terms of the She the People experience, I mean, I think what was so powerful for me is that I've never really seen um, an organization really try to bring people across movements and across um, funding lines 
for, for so to speak. Mm-hmm. And, and, and by, by funding lines, what I mean, there tends to be a lot of silos between whether you do your work in a nonpartisan way, whether you do it in a semi-political way, or whether mm-hmm. you do it in a you know 100% political way. And what I like about what she, you know, what she brings and what she the people brings is it's about bringing all these people together, mm-hmm. right? Because ultimately, we are in the same ecosystem. And often, we, we feel like unicorns in all the different parts of the country that we were doing this work. Mm-hmm. And by bringing us together, it's also about like deepening the work and the relationships that we have with one another. Um, so that we can be doing this work in calibra- in collaboration with one another as opposed to like competition, which let's be honest, it happens too many times and yeah. there's too many little of us. Um, so for me, like that was like actually the, the most inspirational part of it all and like listening to all the amazing folks that honestly are just doing some pretty cutting edge work across the country. Yeah. It was great to go to San Francisco after, um, it was like a week after Ayana won and just to like, it felt like a homecoming to come home to people who like want to build those types of campaigns just like we did Mm -hmm. um and just to see to learn like how you can make it even bigger you know you can you can dream even bigger in terms of movement building campaigns in elector in electoral politics um it was just really yeah and i think even the bigger picture here too is like you know nothing short of a national movement will shift shift this right right um you know and that's just the the reality and i think that she she understands the power of like mass communication, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I think that that's something that in particular is like what Amy, what Amy's contribution is to all of this. Cause I think a lot of times we're trying to get our voice into like the, the big gridlock yeah. of like the, the mainstream media. Um, and having someone that understands that like she can, you know, galvanize her own relationships and network to then also, you know, not just open the door, but literally like be like, hey, this is this is me and this is everyone that comes along with me, yeah. right? Um, I think it's a very different approach um, in, in this landscape, right? Um, in terms of how she's approaching it as well so um and honestly like how often do we get a chance to like come together and and not and like just listen to one another honestly that's not happening very often and where it's not like a panel of like all elected officials or all you know it was it was such a diverse it was an amazing eight-year-old remember oh my god i don't know if she was eight or sixth grade i don't know definitely 10 she was in sixth grade was she in sixth grade i don't know if she was in sixth grade she definitely wasn't wasn't eight no she wasn't that. She old, was young. She was young. Like, she was like eleven or ten. 10? Right? I don't I'm remember. a childless adult, y'all. <laughs> like this is what happens. <laughs> also, like between the ages of seven and ten, it's all the same. It's all a blur. It's all a blur. <laughs> but yeah, no, there was like real. There was y- a young girl who did a, a spoken word piece. Like there was a trans woman activist who got up and talked about social media activism. There were panels about. There was just so many different things, and it was so nice to just see. Oh, nine times out of ten white women not being on the stage you know we are so excited to have you on the podcast today yes likewise i'm really happy to be here yeah so we attended she the people last year well nelia and i did and we just felt so empowered by by the speakers but before we talk about that we'd love to learn more about your journey and how she the people came to be as i pause and i think about this because (laughs) it's been a long i've been in politics for a long time yeah and uh a lot of the politics even from way back in college days was in organizing across race uh, multiracial progressive political movement and really connecting movements at that time. I remember, remember my college campus was um, saving multi, uh, multicultural education because back in those days you had a, uh, a secretary of education who was saying we got to get rid of all these and go back to Western, you know, 
kind of the, the Western culture, education kind of thing, and rejecting the power of, you know, African American, Latino, and Asian American studies and Native American studies. And that was a fight we had back in the 90s. And we organized both in the streets, but also uh, as later, you know, I, I ran for office as a, uh, and was student body president at Stanford and still had those same issues. So playing politics on the college campus, I basically practiced that kind of politics until now. And mm-hmm. it was very clear to me, running up to the 2016 election, where, where um, you know, women were, you know, there's, there's this like parlance or language that really suggests a understanding of the political forces that's not real. So uh, for a long time I've known when you put me in a group as a black woman in a group called women and you talk about the women's movement or the women's vote, I knew that that wasn't reflective of what was really happening on the ground. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That um, And the 2016 election really bore that out. Uh, There's been a long trend of white women, the majority of voters supporting Republicans and conservatives in embracing a, you know, uh, a, a vision of the country's politics that you know, didn't align with myself and the majority of women of color. So after 2016, I started uh, writing a book uh, called She the People, The New Politics of Women of Color, to create space for us. Like, uh, you know, look, we have our own unique, intersectional, um, nuanced uh, vision of what we want to get done and what kind of society we want, but who we are. And we insist on being acknowledged as uh, the, mo- the strongest Democrats, as the fastest growing uh, uh, group of voters in this country, and the most progressive voters in the nation. And we want to acknowledge, we want to be acknowledged not only as the powerhouse core, there's no Democrat, not in California, not in Georgia, not in Florida or Texas, anywhere that will win without the enthusiastic support of women of color and we want to be acknowledged and seen but we also want our leadership to be uh to be supported and we want the the fact that our organizers on the ground are transforming democracy by bringing more people in we want that to be the playbook that the entire movement and democratic party adopt so i started writing this book (laughs) but um you know it was it was to be the first book on women of color in politics in our history. And I was like, okay, there was Bridge Call My Back, which talked about uh, women of color as a our identity and personal as political, but it wasn't expressly electoral politics. But a book takes a freaking long time. And I mm-hmm. <laughs> that was, and there's a lot of other things happy. that you want to be doing as yeah, well, right? <laughs> I'm saying. Uh, so in, in the summer of 2017, this is kind of a long story, but I'm just going to keep going. We're here We're for, sto- for storytelling, Amy. This is exactly <laughs> what this is about, so please. So in the summer of 2017, a woman who was a fantastic leader in Georgia, Stacey Abrams, mm. who was already minority leader, she was already the leader of the Democrats in this southern state that had been controlled statewide by the GOP for 10 years. She decided to run for governor. And I saw that she was going to win her whole strategy was to focus on not only inspiring the base, she recognized that 40% of the registered Democrats in that state were black women, black women. And that if she uh, spoke to and inspired black women as the core, but also reached out to uh, people of all races, particularly unregistered people of color, of which there were 1.2 million throughout that state, 
and that she had people on the ground, instead of spending millions on TV ads, she actually had people on the ground going door to door from from very beginning, 2017. I knew this woman was the, the future of not only the party, but the future of the progressive movement. Mm-hmm. Uh, this black woman represented the leadership that this country needed. And so I flew down to uh, Albany, Georgia, which is southern Georgia, below the Nat Line. I don't know if anyone knows. <laughs> it's like, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a Bay Area person, so mm. you know, I, don't know, I didn't know at that time tons about Georgia, but I knew to have Stacey Abrams declare her candidacy was historic. And it turns mm-hmm. out that she transformed the electorate. She faced incredible odds. Uh, the Democratic Party in Georgia ran a white, moderate millionaire, also named Stacey, against her. And she not only bested her in a landslide in the primary, but she brought as many voters or more voters into a midterm election than in a presidential year. And I think she ended she, up winning by, like, what, 70-something percent? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. In that pri- Right. But in the general, there was such rampant cheating yeah. and Ugh. voter suppression. The guy she ran against, Kemp... He never stepped down as Secretary of State, and he has a long history, years and years, of um, of suppressing the people of color, particularly the black vote. And so he ended up with the prize of being governor, but she ended up redefining Democratic Party politics and who should be the leader. She just gave the the, the national. I was response just going to jump ahead. I, I was just going to jump ahead to that, Amy. And I know we're probably it's okay for us to jump around here a little bit, but um, I'd really love to hear your your perspective um, on that. Say, you know, State of the Union response, right? Because if you even look at the last like ten State of the Union responses, whether it was a Democrat or Republican, they usually aren't that uh, good. Good, let's say, <laughs> right? Um, and the truth is, is that not only it wasn't about good or bad when when Stacey spoke, it was honestly like someone speaking to the country, like in all of its different you know niches and identities that 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 we are. Um, so I really love to hear what your thoughts are yeah. um, and perspective on that on that um, um, speech that she shared right. with us. Exactly because uh, she was uh, she was outstanding for so many reasons. Look, when I started 2017, and she, I knew she was going to be a game changer. Now let's fast forward to her being the voice of the party and doing it from acknowledging her identity, her personal story, her family, mm-hmm. and also being able to, as she can, and um, uh, many, many of our you know, leaders of today can, draw the circle. All these people are part of our uh, coalition that we're fighting for and fighting with. So you'll notice in her speech, as in contrast to the way that um, Trump, you know, thinks about and talks about the population of this country, she acknowledged she acknowledged migrants, she acknowledged LGBT, mm-hmm. she talked about veterans, she talked about people from her own experience and people in the community who have a hard time affording things that they can't afford healthcare. She really spoke to us, and I thought she did. A phenomenal job, and by the way, she's being recruited to run for Senate. So, shouldn't she be running she, for president, though, Amy? I, I what do you think, think about be that? A great president. I have always, you know, uh, in 2017, I started a campaign because I knew if the Democratic Party in Georgia wasn't going to support her, let's get Black women across the country to get behind her. And I did a campaign called "Get in Formation." And was in, in, of intended, of course, course. Oh my God, it I, was intended to inspire Black women because I already understood the role Black women play in this electorate in the Democratic mm-hmm, Party. Look, mm-hmm. can we put our power, not only voting power, but our money and organizing, exactly. 
to get the first black woman elected as governor. And so I did this campaign. I didn't realize that women from, you know, different races were going to come get in formation. I didn't, I didn't know that she wasn't even known at that time. So it's like, here she is. Um, she is a person who has been elevated to the national scene. I think she would be a fantastic president. Look, she's still in her mid forties. So she's fairly young when you look at the mm-hmm. average age of, of uh, people in national office, she'd be fantastic. So, uh, she's being, you know, she has some decisions to make in terms of if she wants to run for Senate in 2020. Um, the path to the Democrats gaining the majority in the Senate goes straight through Georgia. Hmm. So if she can use that same strategy, build on the momentum and the infrastructure she built for her gubernatorial race, uh, she could win statewide as a senator and she could help uh, Democrats take the Senate. So she could do that now. She could wait uh, four years and she could run against uh, Brian Kemp again for the governor's uh, in the governor's race. But no matter what, her star her stars rising. You know, I'm team Stacey Abrams. It's like whatever she decides to do, I'm here for it. I know. Yeah, well, I think all of us I, are the, feel the same way. At least those of us that that, that also identify being hashtag team Stacey. Yeah, so, <laughs> right. No. She can do any, she can do anything, and I will be like, how much money do you need? Where's the kickoff? Like, how many people can I bring? I'm there. I'm there. I'm saying. I'm saying. And and part of her success is in saying is in not trying to be anything but who she is her leadership her identity her her strategy all of that is enough and it uh i never want to hear another black woman for sure or woman of color say you know i don't i don't know if i'm i could be president because because the person the president that's in the in the white house right now um i just never want to hear anyone's not qualified (laughs) I mean, I think, I'm I with think we're, we're all qualified. I, th- um, I agree. At this rate. At this rate. Yeah. At this rate, I just think that the minimum is eligibility requirements that the Constitution says. Other than that, right. let, let's just keep it going. <laughs> let's just keep it going. And I, my, my job is she, the people, and the reason that I uh, started the organization after all this experience supporting Stacey and other fantastic women of color um, who were um, running against odd, all odds, did not have their party support, uh, and had this amazing vision of racial, social, and economic equality that was so inspiring to, to so many of us. My goal is is to bring in this kind of leadership. And I was like, look, women of color, we need each other, and the country needs us urgently. And so it's time for us to assert our leadership and to um, and 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 to create a, the kind of country that we can um, based on our vision. So that's where we see now leading into the uh, presidential. Now we see, now we've had some success. What else can we do? And that's why I think we just continue the momentum with She the People onto 2020. Well, and that, that leads me to my next question, which is, you know, we had this incredible, historic, you know, number of women color candidates. You wrote a great uh, Huffington Post article in 2019 about how the women who were elected were not cogs in the Democratic machine, but people who, you know, are veterans and grassroots organizers um, who dismiss the Democratic Party. So we have a huge presidential coming up. Right now, there's at least one woman of color running. So my question is, you know, do we... 
How do we support women, of the women or the women of color who are running for president while also maintaining this like grassroots, you know, congressional state house, state legislature movement? Is it one or the other or how, how will we find the balance in that? Oh, that's a good question because we got to do both. Mm-hmm. And a mentor of mine told me years ago, like, and I was at that time I was sharing with her, look, what, do I do this or do I do that? And she said, Amy, you're not a one lane you know, you're not a one lane walkway. You're an eight lane freeway. And your capacity <laughs> is great. Your capacity is great. Our capacity as women of color to both drive um, these kind of voter engagement. Basically, what that means is registering, talking to, building um, alliances and coalitions, not dependent on election day, but basically have a permanent voter engagement and turnout operation. Our capacity to be able to build those is great. And our capacity to um, elevate leaders who have a, uh, a background in movement building. So one of the people that early on um, inspired me before 2018 was the Congresswoman Pramila Jarapal uh, from mm-hmm. Seattle. Mm-hmm. She ran. She won. She ran and won in 2016. She is an organizer. Organizer. Okay. She is an organizer. Organizer. She comes from movement. Mm-hmm. She comes from the immigrant rights movement. And she approaches governance now in Congress as an organizer. We haven't had a ton of organizers, people who are from movements, go into elected office. Can you explain to folks that don't understand this, like why having organizers in governance is so important, right? Because for folks like you, like Gene and I, we understand, but like explain a little bit to our listeners why that's so important. Well, okay. All right. So um, (laughs) I think that I think the most important reason to have an organizer in governance is they maintain a deep connection to the very people who have uh, the skills outside of, of, uh, you know, elected office, who have the ideas, the people, the you cannot govern without a deep connection to um, people who are. Um, victims of these kind of the of the very policies that are hurting people, mm. and and so when we talk about how are people going to um, how are we going to get legislation done, the way that Pramila Jarapal has done things is she has worked to organize the the people that are holding office along with her, and she has uh, uh, she does a lot of work to connect them with movement. So her Medicare for All caucus was look. In Seattle, that was a popular idea. In Washington, it was a popular idea to expand Medicare. So she was able to, through her relationships, her work, her connections with uh, people who, are, who do protests, all of that, in order to establish a caucus and get a set of legislators behind a solution to bring Medicare to more people so more people have health care. So I, I see that skill as or, of organizing coming from the immigrant rights movement is giving her the heart and also the understanding of how to get things done. And when we talk about how are we going to keep elected officials accountable, it's not like screaming in their face. Let's get let's get elected officials who come from movements that are deeply connected to movements. Then they um, then as legislators they come up with really amazing ideas. 
That's awesome. That's that's so incredible. And it will be so exciting to see more Pramila Jayapals and Alex Ocasio-Cortez's of the world, you know, come up and are being empowered by by your organization and other great progressive movements. Um, taking it back to 2020 really briefly, She the People is hosting the first ever presidential forum focused on women of color. So, you know, what inspired this idea and what have been have, have there been any unanticipated challenges in putting together such a groundbreaking event like this one? Well, okay. Last year, when we you all we were all at the yep. San Francisco mm-hmm, summit, mm-hmm. most of the women, both you know, there was a significant number of young women and as well as OGs in the audience. And battle <laughs> of our OGs. Okay. Uh, well, I guess I'm an OG now. I you know, or one of them getting up there. But um, I heard from the women in that room. You know, it's 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 not often that I'm in this room that is an embrace, a kind of a loving embrace of women of color as uh, the saving graces of democracy and a sense of belonging, a sense that this, this was a, a movement filled with love and justice and belonging and democracy. And so people came out of that and said, we want more of this. We want more of this space and we want more elevation of our uh, leadership and point of view in this country. My personal mission was to, to change uh, to tell a new story to the country, which is that women of color um, will lead this country out of this mess. We will build the coalitions. We will provide moral, courageous leadership. We will we will expand the electorate. So I wanted women of color, unlike every other presidential year, every other electoral cycle, I want us to be seen, heard. I want our leadership to be acknowledged. I wanted the progressive movement, the Democratic Party, to follow our lead. That's what I wanted. So part of that goal was for me to start giving, um, you know, uh, new research messages, framing for those who cover politics. Because if I saw one more, oh, here's the here's women's vote, or here's the black vote, or here's the this is like paltry understanding of the real drivers in democracy, and I wanted to change that story. So that's the background. So I thought, okay, what's the biggest thing that I I could aim for? <laughs> what do I think? I love your thinking, attention. Amy. Yeah. What's the? We can't think small. This is not a time for us to think small. Me personally, or women of color, or you know, what's the biggest, most important thing that I think I could do um, to for, toward that mission? And a presidential forum is it? Um, I knew there was going to be an unprecedented number of candidates in the primary. I knew that uh, uh, there were going to be. Um, more women and people of color that were um, competing for Democrat support in the primary. So I wanted women of color to hold an event that is about our issues, that assembles us explicitly. Like, when have you seen presidential uh, hopefuls in front of a room of 1,200 women of color? Never. Never. It's so awesome. Never. Never. And it's in Texas. Texas went from a 16-point vote gap to three-point People uh, point to Beto O'Rourke. You got people look at Beto O'Rourke and they say, "Hey, he ran a great campaign," which he did, and they say that's why Democrats did so well in Texas. Now, Texas is a majority people of color state, it's a black and brown state, and Latinas alone, there are three million unregistered eligible to vote Latinas in that state, mm. in a state that Trump won by less than two million. Holy I'm saying cow. the numbers really point to if we use a Stacey Abrams kind of strategy in a place like Georgia. 
um, if we elevate women of color, then we have a different political possibility because um, Texas is a battleground state for 2020. So here's my thinking. We do, we do this uh, presidential forum. For the first time, we focus the nation's press and so-called experts and pundits <laughs> on the power of women of color. We focus on Texas in the South and the potential for us to turn that state blue, which is a big win. And we focus the presidential campaigns on our issues. That's racial, social, economic, and gender justice. What do you have to say? Make your case to us. We are the core of the voters that you need to convince. Mm. Have you, and that's what the forum is. That's, I, <laughs> and the challenge. Uh, you asked me about the challenge. Yeah, the challenge. I gotta is, yeah. Get, yeah, you got I got to. I have Coordinating to with 26 and 28 candidate campaigns. Look, we're, we're, we're only going to have eight campaigns because I don't have, you know, 24 hours to do this thing. Right. Um, but it's, it's going to be fantastic. We'll have eight campaigns. Um, we're we're um, in talks with all the campaigns, which is each one has their all you know big staff and all these considerations. But I don't think most of the campaigns will pass an opportunity to make their case for these. This Not if they're smart. Not if they're smart. Our our network of networks. So she the people's not. We're not doing anything that other. Uh, we're like a big tent that um, elevates the work mm-hmm. of women of color led or centered organizations all over the country. We have groups like SEIU Texas. SEIU, that's a huge women of color union mm-hmm. with tons of their members are women of color. So SEIU Texas on, on one hand and then Ignite that trains uh, young women in Texas, including TSU, that's black and brown uh, college age girls uh, and, and young women and preparing them for public office. We have this like a very interesting combination of partners and those partners will both bring people in the room and they have thousands outside the room and we're going to be live streaming it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So um, each presidential campaign knows this is an opportunity to make your case. And I'm bringing in the, the countries, you know, I'm bringing in Politico and a- AP and New York times. And I mean, all this is a big deal. It is a big deal. This is a very big deal. I mean, very big deal. <laughs> it's a big deal for all of us. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. an opportunity for all of us. I want people to look back in early 2019 and say, this is the point that women of color fully stepped in fully into their um, fierce and loving leadership and collective power. We are no longer going to be ignored, dismissed, or anything like that. We are the drivers of American democracy. And as we are empowered, we can um, really shape the the political future of this country for decades to come. Mm-hmm. And, and do, that's the potential. And do you have other other, other forums um, planned like this um, for the year for, for She the People? So we're going to do, We actually, interestingly, we are going to do some town halls, state-based town halls, after the presidential. And the next place we're going is Virginia, which, by the way... Woo! You're coming. You're coming for them. I'm coming. We're going, we're, it's going to be in, in, in May. Could we just start over? If we just start with women of color, what are the best likelihood of of progressive movement-oriented women of color being embroiled in, um, you know, blackface scandals and racist scandals and and, um, being accused of rape and all this terrible stuff? I just want to start. Can we just start fresh? <laughs> I, I, I co-sign this idea. I am here for um, campaign restart yep. um, and install women of color. That's the that's I'm the saying. official do over. Official do over. 
So, the, so this is amazing. So in these town halls, you'll be focusing, um, will there be more of a focus on state-based issues as it relates to the presidential yeah. primary? You oh. think, of, think about um, Texas. I mean, um, you know, Texas is a swing state for 2020, mm-hmm. but Virginia's got a general election this year. Yeah. And um, uh, we're working with a group of 12 fantastic women of color organizers in the state of Virginia who are doing everything from voter registration like Tram Win yep, um, yep. to other kinds of, you know, uh, work and, and movement and policy work. And so the She the People Town Hall is an opportunity to elevate this group. Yeah, Virginia is a great place for you guys to do this work. The the I'm progressive it's the even progressive, greater now. It's even greater now and with the progressive infrastructure that's been really built there on the ground the last like 10 12 years as it's it's it's, it's, it's right timing for you guys honestly. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. I yeah. you know in in the vein of these amazing campaigns that we saw, right? Like like Stacey Abrams, right? Um uh, or, or even, you know, for us here in Massachusetts with, with Ayanna Presley or Alexander Ocasio-Cortez, a lot of these campaigns were were driven by by staff and volunteers that really believed in a different kind of playbook, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, as we're seeing this, this primary field, um, you know, come together, what are your thoughts on, like, what young women or, or women in general or women of color in general um, should be doing if they want to be working on these campaigns, right? You know, I think it's so hard sometimes when you're trying to figure out, like, I want to do this, do I not? Um, um, for our listeners, like, what is the best way to get involved in these campaigns um, if you want to, like, become a staffer or become a volunteer in one of these campaigns? I mean, there's a role for everyone. I, I'd suggest that people who want to play, you know, I would say, do you want to play in this in the 2020 election? Uh, figure out what candidate you want to be involved in, and you can volunteer. You can just you know, go to their website and sign up as a volunteer and, and have some role there. But there's also, if we look at things very locally, there are uh, political clubs, movements, and unions and organizations that will definitely have a role in politics over this next couple of years. So, um, like, we have an organization called WAPA, Black Women Organized for Political Action. It's it's a, in the San Francisco Bay, mostly Oakland, so it's super local, but it's easy to go to one of their meetings. And um, I would say, you know, if you want to be a leader in these organizations, you know, you go to a few meetings, you run for some kind of role, you, you, <laughs> you start organizing, and that's it. That's a great training ground. So you can organize both uh, very, very, very locally. You can join a national campaign, and those are a couple of ways. But anyone who's listening to you should consider what their role is in terms of leadership. Um, I remember talking to Stacey Abrams. I uh, interviewed her, I think, in, I think it was like three years ago. It was before she declared her candidacy for governor, um, ostensibly to put her, her interview in the book. Um, but she told me that her plan... Uh, for running for office in, in Georgia really was many, many years. And so she, she sat down and she really thought through, you know, where she would live and what what um, position she'd run for and, and who were the influencers and things like that. So um, I, I think that this kind of uh, multi-year planning and thinking about, hey, do I want to be uh, elected official myself and what would be the path? You know, people have young kids. I go, I don't know if I could do it. People don't understand how much it pays or how they could, you know, um, pay the bills while they are in public office. And a lot of these answers can be explored through uh, training. So I highly recommend that uh, people look up the um, 
uh, oh my goodness, I'm I'm so Sayu Bagwani is the head oh, um, of the new immigrant new American uh, new leaders. leaders. Yeah, mm-hmm. yep. New American leaders is a uh, a training program for people in the immigrant experience to prepare them to run for office, and they have specific for uh, sessions for women. Um, uh, then there there's training with Higher Heights. Higher Heights is a, a black women um, uh, pack and voter engagement organization that's fantastic. Then there's Emerge that has a year-long program for, and it's state-based. So these are three resources that uh, people can look at to help prepare them for public service. And I really encourage uh, people to, to really seriously consider that either as, and at, at every level of government, we really need new kinds of leaders to step up. Definitely. I, I'm curious, just taking a step back really briefly, um, you know, what you're doing to the three of us is, is the best thing ever, you know, but it, it, it must be seem radical. It must seem radical to people who have been in institutional politics for a long time. So I'm curious, like, wh- has there been pushback? Has there, you know, what has that been like interfacing with people in D.C., you know, or do people see the writing on the wall? I've had, um, yeah, because it's, there's a new political era that's happening right now. We're in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. It's also a new cultural era. All of this is happening, and we're experiencing it from the inside. And some of the pushback is from traditional women's movement groups that are centered on or and led by white women who haven't, who are, you know, trying to, you know, trying to have a politics that is, you know, kind of narrowly focused on gender but not acknowledging race and class and some of the other um, drivers of politics. So those are, you know, some people that are sort of associated with that would say, well, I, you know, I'm not really sure, and this is this seems... So I, mm. I also acknowledge Do they like that... to say sometimes that it's confusing when they hear you? <laughs> I, I'm very clear who it is that I'm organizing. Oh. And you're talking to a woman, so I just want to, you know, totally... I, my, uh, I'm biracial. Mm-hmm. Half of my family, including my mother, is white. And so I always feel very confident mm. coming in front of a group and saying, this is what I need to tell you as white women. That's awesome. that, that, that we That first of all, women of color are, should lead the electoral success. And then if you, if you support and follow us, we will have victory in 2020. We can defeat Trump. We can defeat those... But you have to um, evolve your self-conception and your idea about, you know, what is this movement that that you're part of. It was uh, Congresswoman Com- Congresswoman Pramila Jarapol that said to me a few years back. He's like, "This is not the women's movement. It's a movement of women, and so white women have a role, and it requires uh, white women who come who who there's been a long history." of, you know, like suffragettes who had um, been a traitor to the idea of, of equality in the mm-hmm. races and things like that, that those old type of thinking is damaging to our movement. And so I am very confident about organizing um, a multiracial movement that will transform politics. And it's not like people always listen to me, like, you know, five, six years ago, like I was on the periphery and I was saying, this is what we need. But now the moment is here. And it's our moment. And I intend to make the most of our moment and to make it as transformational 
and pro-democracy uh, as, as, as I can. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What inspires that, that persistence, Amy? I know, I know, I know. You can go many ways with this question, but I, I think it's something that it's it's, it's important uh, um, to share a little bit. My my whole life, mm -hmm. I've had a heart for other people, and I've my whole life I've had a heart for um, those who have been dismissed and downtrodden and overlooked. And I truly believe in a politics we haven't seen. And I am more in. I'm 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 more in myself fully, myself expressed as the founder, she the people doing this work than I ever have been in my life. I know this is what I was born to do. My um, special and unique contribution to the world. So what gets me up every day is oh my gosh I get to do this. Hmm. I'm so lucky because I see the beauty and power of all these women of color all over the country um, who've never had an opportunity people haven't listened to. And I get to be part of changing all that. I'm crying. That's fine. <laughs> I like literally that is that is so beautiful and, and so incredible. Um, and, you know, it's I'm speechless, which usually is as, it's close, significant, it's as close to yeah. crying, honestly. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just I feel so grateful to have you as a leader in this space and have you as somebody who is pushing the envelope on this, because I just, you know, I may be a white woman, but I know that women of color need to be on the forefront of social change. And they just have been so blocked from it for so, so long, um, both institutionally and socially. Um, but, to, you know, to end on one note, um, we have two questions we're going to ask all of our all of our um, all of our people who come on our podcast. Um, and my question is. You know, you are doing incredible fast-paced work. You, the work you're doing is is emotional and and intelligent and wonderful. How do you take care of yourself? How do you make sure that you sustain for the movement? Um, uh, I wait, I I wait lift. Mm. So, um, uh, four four days a week, uh, I meet uh, women. There's a, a couple different groups I work with, and we lift weights. That is or we awesome. do a hit workout. Like this morning, I I met a good friend of mine, and we did deadlifts, and then we, um, you know, these big tires. We push these tires, and there's a there's a bigger group of people, very friendly at the at the local YMCA here. I've I've been going for years, yeah. and so I, I you know we work out, and then we go across the street to a cafe, and we sit around and we just talk and drink coffee. Oh, that's so and awesome! That, that's amazing. I've been doing that for years, mm -hmm. and that has both both because politics can be um, it can it's hard it can be very hard work and your heart has to be healthy and mm -hmm. you have to but you have to be physically healthy and also emotionally healthy and I stay connected with uh, the women who I work out with and uh, we talk about life and I just I love that fellowship and community and that's how I keep going I, and you know I I, I think so much about politics was, you know, is conceived as like a zero sum sum game. There's winners and there's losers, mm -hmm. or you know, you do power over um, other people. But there's a other kind of politics, a heart politics, that's about love, yeah. and it's about uh, really you know, working with. When I say having a heart for people, really just having a having a heart, finding what's common with people, 
And you, it's hard to be that kind of an advocate without really experiencing it in your own personal life. And my, my world here in Oakland is multiracial and beautiful. <laughs> beautiful. And if I stay grounded in that, I can go out there. I can go to D.C., into the lion's den or whatever. Exactly. <laughs> I can talk to a reporter about what's going on. I can, I can go to a, um, a you know, group of Democratic Party insiders and say, this is what I know to be true. And you and 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 you may not see it, but you will. You know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's absolutely beautiful, Amy. I mean, it really sp- it speaks true to our hearts on on this side. I I often say, if we're not engaging in politics, it allows me and you to see the stake in each other. Then we're not doing this right, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um. So I I it deeply stirs stirs my heart to hear you hear you say this. Um. And you know, the, part of the inspiration for for wanting to 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 create a platform like this is really to shine a light on on all of us that are are really doing the work to fulfill the promise of what our democracy should be um, in this country. Um, and my our last call that we we will be our last question, excuse me, is um, uh, what's your call to joy and justice? What's my call? What do you mean? Normally, people would call it your your call to action. But over the course of last year, you know, I've been really pushed by a lot of inspirational black women to really understand that it really isn't about a call to action. It's really about joy and justice when it comes to like working in our communities. Um, so I've switched it up a little bit. So my my question is really rooted in, in, in that place. So what's your your call to joy to joy and justice? Hmm. I don't know. What's yours? Oof. Oof, she got you. You got me. You got me there. Um, you know, my call to join justice and the reason I, I have an answer so right away, it's because obviously when you when you have a reflection question like this, you've thought about it for yourself to some degree. Um, mm-hmm. My call to join justice in this work as a movement leader like yourself is to be my authentic self. I have chosen mm. to compartmentalize my identities um, and all of that that they bring. Um, to code switch and and do what I think was necessary to get a result, but it made me extremely unhappy. Um, It made me unhappy in my justice work and it made me unhappy at home. Um, so I am learning to bring joy and justice into into what I do because it really has to do with reconcili- re- reconciling myself and re- recognizing that it's my in, in my authenticity that I can really leverage my full power. Mm. I like your answer. I co-sign your answer. <laughs> you can't steal it. You can't steal it. I'm like... I think, I, okay, here's mine. There was a poster when I was in college. I had a semester in Oxford, and I remember I bought this poster, and it said, this um, love and togetherness despite the current difficulties. Mm. Mm. I'm, I, I mentioned I was biracial. I really do mm. really live to bring people together. And um, it makes me so very happy hmm. to, to do it. And, and fills, it fills me with joy. I'm never quite myself unless everyone is there. Oh, that's that's <laughs> beautiful. That's beautiful, Amy. That's, That's so beautiful. Thank you so much for taking the time to be our first guest on the podcast. And, you know, we are so excited to support you and support She the People. Last week, there was an article um, in uh, the New York Times that was talking about um, these new presidential hopefuls and said as a matter of a fact, like a <laughs> fact, well, all of these presidential hopefuls will need to win over women of color who are, in fact, the core of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Do you realize that that just as a... That it was like not a throwaway line, but it was like just background to some other point. Yeah. But just to get reporters to acknowledge that is huge. So we are doing so much amazing 
um, work and having the momentum. And I just, anyway, I'm saying all that to say you got to be there. We will yeah. be we there. Will, we will be there. We will be there. And, and, you know, and honestly, just like deeply, you know, appreciate you taking the time, you know, to do this with us and like all the amazing work that you're doing and know that like you are creating the lane for us, right? And we're like breaking down the walls as mm -hmm. we need to to make sure that this work happens the way that we know we can. Um, and let's stand, let's all collectively stand in our power and lead the country through this phase is what all I have to say. <laughs> okay, well said, well said. Yeah. But thank you. Thank you so much, Amy. Thank you. Deep Democracy is produced and distributed by Critical Frequency. Our producers are Amy Westervelt and Katie Ross. Our theme music is from Origami Pigeon, and our cover art was drawn by Alejandra Ballesteros. We hope you enjoyed the first episode. If you did, please remember to leave us a rating in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts, and subscribe so you won't miss our next episode in April. Thanks. See you next time. Now, now.